So we're, we're going to talk about soil and just some, some spiritual connections first. What was man made out of? Dust, Dust yeah, soil. And, and when, when Adam and Eve sinned and, and God gave the curse, what did, he say, what did he say would happen to them when they died? They would return to the dust, yeah. And for, for the period of our lives in between when we're born and when we die, we, we are not dust, but we are living on the dust, and our lives are coming to us from the dust. Does that make sense? Okay. So the, the dirt, dust, is, is very significant for us. In fact, um, we like to say that it's more than dirt. It's more than dust. It's soil. It, um, and, and there's, I, I feel like there's, there's a lot of significance to, you know, soil makes land. And there's a lot of significance to, to land or, or place. And the Bible, there, there's a, a thread of um, a meaning all the way through the Bible about what, what land means, what the earth means. And um, there's... You know, God, when, God, when God made Adam, he put him in a particular place. That place was, was called the Garden of Eden. It was, it was a special place that Adam was to manage. And, um, you know, the, the, the goal, as we, as we said at the beginning um, this morning, was that that place would be replicated in other places, but each is a place, you know, occupying land. And um, the, you know, I've somehow in the Garden of Eden, food was important. You know, they, they had the tree of life, and that was, that was something that somehow gave them eternal life, but, but that did not make food irrelevant. You know, God, God told Adam, I'm giving you every seed-bearing plant and every tree which has seed in its fruit. It will be food for you. So food was important even in the Garden of Eden. Um, I'm still trying to understand. I've got some ideas, but I'm still trying to understand exactly what that meant. But um, the food, you know, our life, the food that we eat that gives us life comes from the, the land. And it's the, and you know, originally it was, it was the land that we occupied, that we cared for, that gave us our life. And um, so there was something significant about the place where a person lived. And when, when the children of Israel went into the land of Canaan, 
God, God gave every family a piece of land. And um, if you remember, there was, there was something almost sacred about that piece of land because it was never allowed to go out of the family's hands. Remember, it could be, they couldn't sell it. They could lease it to somebody. But at the, at the Jubilee, after 50 years, it would come back to them. So it was always theirs. There was something sacred about that. So there, the land and place is, is very special. And, um, you know, I, I know I have, and I, I'm sure you have experienced the same thing where you have lived. You, you develop a special attachment to that place. You know, I grew up in Southern California, and whenever I go back there, it's like, ah, I mean, it's just the atmosphere, the, the smells, the, the feel of the place. You know, it's, it's home for me. <laughs> That's, you know, and, and there's, I, you know, I don't experience that any other place. It's all the mix of, of the plants, the, you know, the environment, everything. We have an attachment that I believe all of this is built into us by God. And, um, So the, in the Bible, like I said, there's this thread of, of meaning connected, sp making a spiritual application for land all the way through the Bible. Um, you remember in the parable of the sower, um, Jesus in, in Matthew 13, 19, Jesus said, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. Okay? And this is the connection that's all through the Bible. It's a connection of the heart to, to the land. So, um, there, and, well... Another example is Jeremiah 4, 3 and 4. For thus says the Lord to the men of Judah and Jerusalem, break up your fallow ground and sow not among thorns. Circumcise yourselves to the Lord. Remove the foreskin of your hearts. Okay? There's this connection between the land and the heart. And in Hosea 10, 12, sow righteousness for yourselves reap the fruit of unfailing love, and break up your unplowed ground. For it is time to seek the Lord until he comes and showers his righteousness on you. And it doesn't say it explicitly there, but it's obvious. What is he talking about when he says break up your unplowed ground? <laughs> yeah, he's not talking about your fields. He's talking about your heart. So... Um, there's this connection all the way through. And um, actually from the very beginning, you remember when, when, when Eve ate the fruit, what was, what was happening in her heart? There was disbelief of God, right? Doubting God. Um, that's, that's a kind of... You know, yeah, yeah. But anyways, this is this was something taking place at the heart level, right? And 
And what happened? You know, God, what did God tell them as a result of that? He said that the, that, um, the land wouldn't continue to bear like it had and that it would produce thistles and thorns and that they would have to eat by the sweat of their brow. So there was a connection between what happened in the heart and what happened on the land. You see that? And um, when, when God looked down uh, and, and saw that, that the earth was corrupt and every imagination of man's heart was evil, and he found one righteous man, Noah. Um, you know, what did he, he do? Again, the, the, the earth was cursed because of a spiritual problem with people's hearts, right? And, um, you know, when, when the children of, of Israel went into the land of Canaan, God told them, if you follow me and if you obey my ways, then I will bless you. I, I will bless your fields and your kneading bowls, which is you know, the bread that comes out of your fields, and your animals and you know, everything. I'm going to bless you, and, and I'm going to bless your land. But if you, if you don't follow me, I'm going to curse you and you know, via the land to a large extent. And, and if you persist in not following me, I'm, I'm going to take you out of the land. And he said, you, you'll be taken exile. And, uh, and so that's what happened. You know, when the northern kingdom persisted in, in um, worshiping idols, God sent Elijah to King Ahab, and he said, there's going to be no more rain for three years. The land was cursed because of a spiritual problem. And so this is, this is uh, a meaning that runs through scripture. There is a connection between our hearts and the land. And I, I think we can safely say that, that the land is a picture of our hearts and maybe vice versa also, our hearts are often a picture of the land, <laughs> you know. But um, that's, the, that's a spiritual meaning of, of the land. It's, it's, a, it's a very deep meaning that goes with it. So, and I know Whitmore's talking about that in there. <laughs> so, soil composition. Soil is, is made up of three things. There are three primary constituents of soil. Um, So we have, well, what, what do you think of when you think of soil? What, you, you tell me, what, what makes up soil? Sand. Sand, okay. 
So we'll, we'll call that the mineral. Material. And so there's, there's sand and there's also, sand is the largest kind of mineral particle. And then, and then you have clay. And those are the smallest kind of mineral particles. So, um, if the clay particles are, are extremely small, you, you can't see them except with an electron microscope. And of course, sand you can easily see with your eye. So then we have everything in between, all the grade of things in between. So that's the mineral part of, of soil. What other things will we find in soil? Organic matter. So that's this part here. Okay. And and then um, <coughs> and then over here, what what would that be? Water. Okay. And what else? Air. Yeah. Okay. So. I didn't put a dividing line between air and water because, you know, that, that's something that fluctuates. <laughs> and um, as water decreases, then air increases and vice versa. So each of these components is, is necessary for the soil. Um, the, and I, Let's talk a little bit more about organic matter. What is organic matter made of? Decomposing organisms. Decomposing organisms, yeah, plant material. So basically anything that was alive and is no longer alive um, forms organic matter. It's, it's not only humans that go back to dust, but you know, everything does. <laughs> Yeah. So you mean like animals and vegetables? Yes, animal and vegetable. Yeah. And um, even you know, strictly speaking, when when scientists measure organic matter, it, it, that'll actually even include a lot of living things. You know, like there there might be live roots and um, live. The, the soil is, is full of microorganisms, bacteria and fungi. And, and so the, the organic matter is composed both of the, the living and the dead of those things. Um, when we, you know, the, the, bigger, the bigger the organisms get, the, the less likely we are to include them in there. I mean, although strictly speaking, they might be there, the less likely we'll include them because they, they're big enough to escape from our, <laughs> from our measurements. You know, a little. What, what do you have that, that burrows in the ground? Right? We have moles and, and voles and gophers and things like that. Wombats. Wombats. But Rod was telling me about some, some rats that he's, or, or mice that, that 
burrow and, and eat eat roots. Yeah. How how big are those? Are they? Oh, they're pretty big. Huh? Wow. Okay. So yeah, I mean, all of those things, strictly speaking, would be organic matter. But <laughs> like I said, they usually are able to escape <laughs> our, our efforts to measure them. Worms definitely, yeah. yeah. So, um, so if you, um, so on the notes here, I, I mentioned sand. Silt is is something in between sand and clay, and then, and then clay, and um, if. If you had a beet seed, if that was representing a, a piece of, a, a particle of clay, then, then, um, then uh, the beet, a beet itself, would represent silt. And, and a wheelbarrow would represent sand. That's the kind of the the ratio that we're looking at. So, um, um, what, what is it that, that makes the organic matter break down? Now, it, you know, if you when when if we you just look at in the forest out here, right outside the, the doors here, um, what do you see on the ground? A lot of leaves, yeah. So it's that's intact organic matter, basically. But if you kind of separated those leaves aside, what would you find? Yeah, it, you'll you'll find that that there. That they're not—they're not so intact. They're—they're they're breaking down, and and the deeper you go, the more broken down you'll find it, right? Yeah, until you get to the actual soil itself. But there's kind of a gradation all the way through. But um, so we, you know, we talk about soil layers. And so let's say if this is a section of soil, we have all this organic matter on the surface and it's it's even you know coming down into the into the soil and I'm trying to color that a little bit lighter than this so um, this would be your top soil here and then you have um, a secondary layer that that has very little organic matter in it, and and then you might have other layers of rock down below that. Um, but but this area here is what we're particularly interested in, and I just want to note that um, this is is the natural way things work, and and who set that up? God did, yeah. So he, he set it up 
so that it works this way. And so, therefore, you know, if we can, if we can try to replicate this and work with our, our land in a way that, that, that replicates this, the closer we can, we can be to, to God's way of working with things, the, the better it's going to work, right? So, um, so what is, so we, we started talking about this, what is breaking these leaves down so that they, they eventually become incorporated into the soil? It's bacteria. Anything else? Worms? Worms are helpful. Pardon? That is helpful also. In fact, that's when in hot places, that's it's really a challenge to get organic matter in the soil because the, the heat tends to burn it up. So digging in so, digging that can be that can be helpful, but it, it's actually yeah. We're 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 discovering that, that having it on top is is very beneficial. And um, yeah, Let, I, I just want to come. I want to just finish this one thought, and then I'll come back to this. Um, there, there's one other thing that that plays a key role in breaking these this down, and that's fungi. Okay, so so it's it's bacteria and fungi, and the it's interesting in in the natural world. Um, what you'll find here, you know, in the under under the forest, you'll you'll find that the the soil has a higher proportion of fungi than bacteria. But when you're when you're in fields and grasslands, it's the other way around. The, you have a higher proportion of, of bacteria in the soil, and so one one thing. One kind of a, I don't know if I call it a lesson or just a, one thing we can gather from that is that it seems that in a in a culture of perennials, um, a, a fungal dominated soil seems to be preferable, but in 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 a culture of annuals, maybe a bacteria dominated soil is 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 preferable. Um, the, in, in both situations, it, it's not one or the other. You have bacteria and fungi in the forest, and you have bacteria and fungi in the fields. But, you know, there's just, they, they, they change roles and dominance. So, um, you know, taking that to the garden, um, your fruit trees are perennials, right? And so, you know, you, you, you're, you're looking at, at developing a, a fungal-dominated soil under your fruit trees. With your, your vegetables, um, they, they tend to mostly be animals, and so you'll, you'll want a bacterial-dominated soil more with them. So, and, you know, to a certain extent, that's just something that will naturally take place. But, um, so 
you know, we were, you were asking about digging the, the organic matter in. Um, we, we are tending to do less and less of that. I mean, one, one place that we have traditionally really tried to work organic matter in is like when we grow a, a green manure cover crop. That's a, a crop grown for the purpose of improving the soil, adding nutrition to the soil and or organic matter. And we've, we've tended to till that in, but um, a lot of farmers are even getting away from doing that now and just letting it, you know, cutting it and letting it sit on the soil. Um, because what happens when you, when you let organic matter sit on the soil? Well, I'll just give you an example. Um, we, we lived for a couple of years in Arkansas at Wachita Hills Academy. And at that, um, we, we were living in a, in a small trailer and, and the ground around us was, was very rocky and clay and it had a, just a, a very sparse grass <laughs> growing on it. And um, a neighbor was able to, to get a couple of big round hay bales. You, you do the, the big round hay bales here. So he, he was able to get some from a farmer that were old. You know, they'd been sitting out in his field for a couple of years, and, and so they were starting to rot and weren't really useful to him. And so we got them, and he, you know, he got one for himself, and he gave one to me. And I, I spread it on this ground that was, that was hard and just a, a little bit of grass growing on it. There's rocks and showing through. I spread it on really thick, about like this, and then um, left for, I think, for a couple of weeks. Anyways, when I, when I came back, I went out to, to check the, well, I wanted to drive in some posts for, for tomato steaks. And um, as I was driving those posts into the ground, um, earthworms were just popping up. Every time I knocked the post, it was like they were doing a dance. You know? <laughs> it was really amazing. But I, the, the soil had changed completely underneath there. It was soft and moist and, and full of life, full of worms. You know? So um, just putting a mulch on top of the soil can really make a big difference. And what happens is that instead of you digging the soil, you have all that life in the soil digging it for you. Does that make sense? You know, God, God placed us, you know, when, when God placed Adam and Eve, he, he particularly gave them dominion over the animals. I, you know, I'd encourage you to read Genesis 1 again, but it, it's, it's very specific over the animals. And, and, then, he, and then God said, you know, to you I give every every tree bearing every plant bearing seed and every tree with seed in its fruit, and then he said, and to the animals, every green plant. And so, I the way I'm taking that is that God specifically gave us dominion over the animals, but um, you know, dominion means making sure that they have what they need to eat, and so we're kind of watching over the 
the plant world because that's our food supply and that's the food supply for the animals that we're supposed to be watching over. <laughs> so anyways, um, where was I going with that? Oh yeah, the, the yeah. So, so the you know the, the creatures are working for us. That's us having dominion over them. We're <laughs> we're utilizing them to to do labor for us instead of having to do it all ourselves. Um, yes. How can you do that? Pardon? Like, are you saying to do that before you start cultivating and like put a layer of this um, compost and stuff over the top of hay or whatever you do? Yeah. You try and you can do that, yeah. In fact, um, it's kind of an ideal thing to to set this up in the fall and then um, let it sit over winter, and then by spring you've got a really nice, you know, something to work with. You you can do that as well, though. Yeah, it's just that if if it was. If it was done before, then your soil has had time to, to you know, develop these populations of, of things. And, but, you know, if you've already got your garden in and you want to do this, don't, don't wait. <laughs> you, can, you can go ahead and start now. And, you know, the sooner you do it, the, the sooner it'll, it'll start developing and growing the populations of, of microbes that you want. Um, Okay, so, so it's the microbes that are breaking down the, the organic matter. And basically, we can say that, that organic matter is, is the food and, and the housing for, for microbes. And so if you, don't, if you have a, a soil that has very little organic matter in it, then you have very little food and housing for the microbes, okay? And what's significant about that? Um, the significant thing is that your, say you have a plant here that has roots, and, and then off of these roots are smaller roots, and even smaller root hairs. Um, if, if this was a microscope looking at a, at a very small root hair, um, you would find that, that there is a, an area around, very close to that root, but, but around it, that is, um, it's, it's full of exudates from the plant. These are, these are mostly starch or sugar exudates that, that come out from the root. And um, that zone there is, is full of microbes because they are, they are thriving in those, those 
and that sugar, you know, and the, the starch exudates. So that's where they grow and multiply. And I mean, they're, they're elsewhere in the soil, but, but just a very thin layer right around the root has a lot of them. And um, it is those microbes in that layer around the root that, that affect the, the transfer of, of minerals and nutrients into the root. So that those, those microbes come into that zone around the root and they die and when they decompose, those nutrients are available to, to the root. So um, basically, I mean, the, the basic idea here is that if you have, um, if you have a limited microbial population in your soil, your, your plants are going to have, have a more limited nutrient uptake. Does that make sense? And so on your soil that I have there, when the roots of that plant, they're still in the top soil, or would they go for the... They, they, um, you know, it depends, it depends on the plant. There, there are some that are very deep-rooted, and others, you know, most, by the time you go down two feet, um, you know, most of the, the plants are going to be in the area above that, most of the roots. But um, you, you will have some roots, particularly from some plants that go down deeper. So, you know, this, this profile can, can be different in different places, but um, most of the roots are going to be in the topsoil. Yeah. And that's where, where most of the activity is going to take place. So what, you know, by, by putting organic matter on your soil, and, and you'll need to, to do that every year, you know, that, again, that's what nature does, right? Is there, there's a, a constant litter of leaves coming down from the trees. And so if you're going to replicate that in your garden, you, you, know, you need to apply something every year. Um, but, you know, then you're, you're gonna be building topsoil and like I said you're providing food and housing for microbes who are providing nutrition to your plants so that's the, the fundamental cycle we're looking at um, air and water are very important because um, that's what life needs right those microbes need air and water and so the, the structure of your soil is, is really significant for that reason. If you have a compacted soil, um, it's not gonna let much air or water through. And, and so you'll, you'll tend to find that compacted soils are low in organic matter and, and they're just not very life-giving. So that's, that's, the, that's the primary reason for, for digging the soil, is we're wanting to loosen it so that um, you know, air and water can be more available. Um, we're going to, as I said, you can do this where you where you're allowing the the microbes and the organisms in your soil to do the tilling for you. But um, I'm going to be introducing a tool that that we like a lot called a broad fork 
that allows you to, to loosen soil without actually turning it. And, um, you know, traditional farming, when, when you're plowing, you're taking this soil from down here and, and putting it up, up on top and, and taking this stuff that's on top and putting it down underneath. You know, it, it inverts the soil. And um, that sets everything back. So we're, we're not wanting to do that. Does that, does that make sense? Um, it just sets the whole natural system back. It has to start all over again, basically. Um, yeah, the, there, there is one exception to that. In, in our garden, I, I have on, on well-developed beds that have, you know, a good amount of, of good soil. When I, if I have a, a planting of something very thick on the surface, uh, you know, like, like baby greens, you know, we'll, we'll do a, a whole 30-inch bed thick with, with baby greens. And that has, when, when you're wanting to prepare the soil for, for, the, for the, something else, a following crop, you've got a, 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 a mat of roots right under the, the soil surface. And it's, it's not that easy to, to prepare that. So um, I've, I've tried flipping the soil because it's already well-developed. And the, the, I mean, the way we've done it otherwise is we will use a, a, a hoe and, and cut all of those off right below the surface. And then you're taking out a lot of organic matter and dirt and putting it on the compost pile, so hopefully it's not all lost, but it's a lot of labor. <laughs> the other way is a lot of labor too, flipping it a bit. You know, you got I've tried. I've done both things. The 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 one thing about using mulch like this on on the surface of a bed when you're when you're planting crops like. You know, if you're doing something like baby greens where you're direct seeding things, it's really hard to work with a mulch when you're direct seeding. And so just for, for practicality, we, we tend to not use a system like this. A system like this is okay if you're transplanting. And we, we prefer transplanting over direct seeding. So whenever we have an opportunity to transplant, we'll transplant. But... Um, and so this kind of system can work with that. But when you're direct seeding, it's, it's, it's a lot easier to have a clear bed and a nice worked soil that you can direct seed into. And so in, in that instance, we'll, we'll want to add organic matter in, in compost or something like that when we're preparing the seed bed before we direct seed because we've taken off all the organic matter, so we need to add something. Does that make sense? Okay. Um, so, a healthy soil is is made up of aggregates. Right. 
guess I should try to find something outside there. But you, you've, if you pick up a soil and and it's dry and fine, um, that's not good. You know, a, a, a healthy soil should have a crumb, kind of like a a good cake, you know, a moist cake. And and that this crumb is what we call aggregates. And um, what what makes those aggregates? You know, they're they're small clumps of soil stick sticking together. And so, what is it that makes it like that? So that is it if you one of one of the dangers of, of using a rotor tiller, for example, you know, it's, you've got blades going through the soil quickly. It'll break up those aggregates, and and that makes that that will encourage the land compacting and and, and reducing the, the flow of water and air. Those aggregates allow the, the land to have the soil to have air pockets and you know places for the air and water to move through it. So these these aggregates are just little clusters. Do you know what I mean when I when I'm speaking of that? Have you seen that in soil? Okay. So that that's what you want. And what, what makes those aggregates is um, there are exudates from from the from the bacteria and the and that that are kind of like glue that that glues soil particles together and then the and then the, the fungi often have hyphae you know like very s small strings and and those hyphae help to hold the soil together and um, so again. Having, having a healthy microbial population in your soil will help your soil to have a good structure so that, it's, so that the air and water can, can pass through it easily. Um, there are about 17 elements that are needed by plants to, to grow well. And having those, those elements in the right balance is, is very helpful. You know, when, when they're not in the right balance, things obviously somehow manage to, to grow. But, but having them in, in the right balance facilitates growing a lot, it, not only for the plants, but also for the life in the soil. So, um, our human bodies need about 27 different elements to grow. And where, where do we get those elements from? Our food. <laughs> yeah, that's how they come into us. So, um, and so, basically what I'm saying is that the, the plants don't need as many minerals 
as we do. Right? They need 17, we need about 27. But all of those elements need to be in the soil and they all need to be taken up by plants for our, for our sake. And so what, one thing I'm saying with this is that there, it's, it's, we are just coming onto the edge of, of farmers thinking about growing plants for human consumption. You know, for, for the most part, farmers are growing plants for the sake of a healthy plant. I mean, they know it's going to be food, but they're, they're focused on, on the, the basic minerals that they need to put in the ground for the plant to grow. But um, there is hardly anyone growing, trying to make sure that whatever a human needs is, is in the soil and available to the plants. That, that's, that's kind of a new idea out there. But I, I, I feel like it's something that we need to start promoting because you know, we, we know that, that soils are, are getting old and, and tired and, and the, the, the nutrient composition of, of produce today, it, at least in America, the nutrient composition of produce today is not what it was 50 or 60 years ago. I mean, they, they were testing it back then and they're testing it now, and there's a significant difference, and it's not more. <laughs> so, we, you know, it, it is important for us to, to add the minerals that we need to the soil, and um, even beyond what just our, you know, the the agricultural test will tell you This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.